No. Okay, welcome everyone uh, to the City's First podcast. I'm your host and founder, Scott Shepard, and I'm really excited to have with you today uh, uh, Thine Van Helvoort, um, who is with uh, No Such Ventures out of Amsterdam. Welcome, Thine. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well, uh, Scott. Thanks for having me. Please keep correcting me if I mispronounce your first name or last name, but we'll, we'll you know, uh, we'll get through this together. So we'll... <laughs> It's good practice. Most people mispronounce it. So yeah, you're doing yeah. Pretty good. I know, I know. Yeah, so good. Well, thanks for uh, being here today. So this is actually our 16th episode and our inaugural episode of season three. So we've actually made it to a third season of the City's First Podcast. So we're really excited here. Uh, we got a great lineup uh, this year, this season, but uh, Thine is really our esteemed guest, and I'm just going to go through his bio and follow kind of the normal uh, format and pattern we have really conversational a bit of exchange back and forth um, around you know a series of questions but really kind of handing the, the mic off to get his perspective in terms of mobility and uh, investing as well so without further ado uh, Thine is based in Amsterdam is a venture capital investor at No Such Ventures and is responsible for portfolio management fundraising LP relations inter internal operations deal making and deal flow management Thine is also founder of Czech and led efforts across the organizations such as operations, corporate development, and legal. Thine also currently advises invests in Dockler BV and other startups. He was previously VC at Punuk and associate M&A and junior associate equity and debt capital markets at Link Ladders. Trained as an attorney, Thine graduated with both a Master of Laws, cum laude in corporate and commercial law, and a Bachelor of Laws from the European Law School at Maastricht University. So... Welcome. And without further ado, I think we'll just jump right in because we try to keep these uh, podcasts uh, really concise and to the point. So the first question, and just a little bit of quick background for the audience, um, this is really kind of a deep dive into the Amsterdam, the Dutch, as well as the mobility impact and investing ecosystem as where we are now today in 2024. So this is super relevant as a snapshot going a bit deep into this particular world. But as we all know, we kind of take different uh, twists and turns in our conversation. So let's see how the conversation uh, kind of unfolds. But the first question for you is, why is the Netherlands and Amsterdam in particular such a dynamic ecosystem for mobility startups and investors now in 2024? Yeah, yeah thanks. It, um, that's an interesting question. I think uh, historically, sort of, I think the Netherlands has always uh, uh, have a, a very strong focus on mobility. Why? Uh, I think People know the Netherlands as a country of historically of trade and commerce. Uh, I think Netherlands is the second most densely populated country in the EU after Malta, which is basically a very small island state. Um, um, and, you know, because we have such a dense uh, population, but actually quite a lot of, uh, of people, you know, Netherlands has more than 18 million inhabitants, uh, decent economy. I think it's the fifth largest of the EU. So that means that a lot of stuff is happening on a very small uh, uh, area. And, you know, in order to make sure that that, goes well you also need a good infrastructure so i think the netherlands is pretty famous for having a good uh, road infrastructure but also a lot of uh, cycling lanes we'll probably uh, touch upon that uh, later in this uh, this podcast as well but i think sort of that that's all there just because the netherlands needs that to function but it makes it a very interesting case for sort of any any company any startup that wants to try out something in mobility and on top of that i think in the netherlands uh, the sort of the basics that you need for for setting up a, a venture are also there. You know, we have good internet connection. People speak very well uh, English uh, generally, so also internationally, because everybody in the Netherlands has always a focus on sort of 
we're such a small country. So that means that everybody has a mindset of, okay, you have the Netherlands, but you also have everything where the Netherlands is situated in, right? Everybody here in the Netherlands always thinks, okay, how can we scale to Europe? How can we scale beyond that? And there also, I think thinking about the history, uh, it sounds a bit corny maybe, but I think the Dutch in general. No, I love it. Very, Keep it going. <laughs> very, very uh, entrepreneurial mindset, right? Yeah. Like people really think about, okay, how can I start something? So from the, from that perspective, a lot of sort of buzz, I think, is is just there in the, in the Netherlands. And then add to that, we have pretty good technical universities, uh, a growing VC landscape, and also a pretty healthy financial sector. So all those things yeah, play into account uh, into creating the Netherlands into pretty pretty interesting uh, landscape for mobility startups. Also, you know, th th think, for instance, Amsterdam, your question was also about Amsterdam, for instance, right? Amsterdam is in, obviously, sort of the, internationally, I think a lot of people know Amsterdam and then they know the Netherlands, right? But the Netherlands is actually so small that, for instance, uh, my house uh, is in Utrecht, uh, which people think, oh, that's a different city. Yes, but it's 20, 20 minutes by train. So literally, you know, my commute to the office in Amsterdam or offices in Amsterdam, it literally takes me 25 minutes. I walk to the train station in Utrecht, 18 minutes by train, and I walk two minutes to the office. So I think that's how, you, if you're viewing the Netherlands, Yes, stuff is happening in Amsterdam, but you know, in three hours you're everywhere in the country by train. In four hours, everywhere by car. So it's every everything in the Netherlands is very well interconnected. So I think those things all come into play uh, uh, when thinking about why, <laughs> why, yeah, why a lot of mobility uh, startups are actually starting in in the Netherlands. Absolutely, it has all the right ingredients. So it has the history, the history of entrepreneurialism, history of finance, uh, the first uh, uh, stock exchange, you know, Dutch, Dutch East India Company, yeah. you have yeah. New, New Netherlands, you have New Amsterdam, which born New York City, uh, you know, I could go on and on. Um, and then you have just the, the physical constraints, which um, out of, you know, necessity is the mother of, of invention. So, you know, Absolutely. in terms of it being the center of the low countries and being its, its actual, you know, uh, topography leading towards uh, water and road transport. So all of these conditions out of necessity led to the right ingredients for a ecosystem of mobility, innovation, development, finance, capital, et cetera, et cetera. So just to kind of not that not to say that I need to add on to what you're saying, but uh, it's my own personal take that or a, a passion as an urban planner. It's 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 where all the action is. So absolutely. I think that's the, the perfect start of our conversation here. So uh, <laughs> nice. Get, getting a little bit deeper now, now specifically around um, investing. Um, and let's talk about specifically this Dutch way of investing and how um, I have some experience myself, but we can both talk about this, um, of the triple helix model, which was developed and innovated in the Netherlands, which is basically a concept around a, um, a trinity or a partnership between public, private, and academic stakeholders to co-create innovation, solution, uh, procurement and development. So in terms of this Dutch way of investing or this kind of, let's say, holistic approach and uh, engaging all stakeholders in this um, kind of ecosystem, specifically mobility, maybe you can uh, share with us and uh, our uh, listeners, you know, um, some of the details around that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe good to start off. You know, as 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 no such, we're really uh, really private investors. So we're mainly concerned about just the private investing uh, part of it. As a, as a founder of of Czech, we've uh, obviously mingled a lot with sort of what are public initiatives. Also, because by default we were shared mobility startup, we are. <laughs> uh, so you're always sort of interacting with uh, you know with the, with the government, specifically with the local governments. But from from a private investor perspective, what we really see happening a lot is that you really see a lot of money flowing 
actually into regional uh, yeah they call it roms so regional development firms i guess they are sort of local uh, local money is, is is put into startups to help f uh, solve social problems so i think that's a big driver and a big driver of capital and on the smaller scales the bomb in in brabant in the south netherlands is pretty uh, pretty famous you have the rom in in north uh, north holland and then when you get a bit further you need a big bit of a bigger ticket you get uh, funds like InvestNL which is really sort of a central government uh, initiative to actually invest also in startups that help solve our societal problems meaning sort of energy transition and those kind of things and then obviously you have a lot of uh, initiatives that are linked to uh, to to the academic uh, world uh, uh, you know and that and and there are a lot of sort of incubators and facilitators around around that what um what I really, uh, uh, what I really like about sort of this this ecosystem and, and this sort of collaboration, I guess, of multiple stakeholders is that you see that you try to address different. And I, I think we'll also probably dive into that a bit deeper later. But what you see is that people try to solve problems, and there are different dimensions of it. And I think for a private investor, it's really important that uh, if if you know, obviously, you're also looking to monetize uh, uh, monetize propositions that startups have. But sometimes that's a bit harder because to fix a difficult problem, you know, you need to overcome some hurdles. So I think having the right collaboration, either by exchange of knowledge through the academia or through actually, you know, trying to address sort of more the social uh, social uh, issues that are happening, I think a collaboration with these kind of parties really helps. So I think that's, from my perspective, pretty uh, a pretty interesting fact about sort of the way that investing goes here. Uh, but you probably have a bit more to sort of say about the triple helix specifically because I have less experience there, I guess. Right. Yeah. Some would uh, argue that it's a necessary evil in terms of uh, investors or even founders to actually interact with the government. Um, but in the triple helix model kind of flips it on its head by saying that uh, everyone has skin in the game and everyone has uh, something to benefit by uh, co-creating and interacting from the get-go, from the start. And not only that, but you're actually defining your desired outcomes and your end state ahead of time. So you're not necessarily developing, let's say, innovation for the sake of innovation in a sandbox and seeing, quote unquote, what comes, you're defining, you, let's say, your set of 10 objectives, uh, economic development, public health, urbanism, transport, et cetera. And then you're basically repositioning data, technology, AI, whatever it is, into a set of objectives and you work your way backwards. And then you basically draw upon the expertise of the three primary stakeholders, the public, the private, and academia, to basically develop a series of pilots, initiatives, and eventually a path to procurement. So this gives an open call to future founders who are going to pitch to you guys for future investment to basically they understand that they're aligned with the objectives of the triple helix, you know, framework. So really, uh, it, it's kind of uh, a bit of a blend. Uh, I would say it's a kind of a mixed economic model. It's not uh, laissez-faire uh, free market capitalism but it's not necessarily a uh, centralized economy. It's a bit of a blend of Keynesian economics in terms of its demand side. It's demand side coming macroeconomically from the, the public sector, but with a heavy involvement and in interplay of private and other actors. So again, it's really, and it helps accelerate this path to market and the path to procurement because if any solution that a founder is looking to uh, receive investment from no such or other investors, that look needs to scale in the B2B or B2G market needs to understand the path to procurement, full stop. So the triple helix model offers in a different alternative to that, that many other uh, founders and startups struggle in the B2G business to government market. Essentially. So yeah, that's my take on it. <laughs> but yeah, again, and I think it makes a lot of sense and interesting. A lot of what you're, what you're saying. I really and it started in the Netherlands too. 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of what you're saying, I, I recognize in sort of initiatives from the Amsterdam Institute. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Yes, the Amsterdam AMS, Institute. yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I know them also pretty well. I'm giving right. a masterclass to them in uh, in a month from now to a two-hour deep dive in some, some topics. So we collaborate quite a lot with them. And indeed, sort of, they also have exactly the setup that you're, that you're sort of describing. Challenges, I guess, that they define. But uh, yeah, Great. Okay. So we'll continue on here um, on our uh, program. So the next question for you is, what can founders learn from the post-COVID city? So let's say um, just in the last uh, 12 months and refine their pitches to align with impactful mobility use cases. So a founder that would approach no such ventures with a new problem that needs to be solved and they're looking to scale, you know, from series, uh, you know, from seed on to series A and beyond, what is really going to um, pique your interest and what uh, problems do you think are really starting to come to the forefront um, in this, uh, let's say, uh, you know, post-COVID environment? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. You start sort of with the question saying in a post-COVID uh, environment and it sort of begs the question uh, sort of is, is, is COVID really the defining factor of the current landscape that we're seeing? Because I think in, in a sense, uh, uh, market-wise at least, it's not necessarily. As in, sure, COVID probably had a lot to do with it, but I think the effects that we're seeing are not necessarily the effects from being post-pandemic. Right. Um, um, so, so answering your question more in sort of a sense, what, what do we see now in, in sort of the market and, and, and sort of how can you do well in, in that let's, as a let's founder. say sorry to refine it let's say post 2021 just as a benchmark yeah. uh independent I, of covid because we saw a lot of uh upheaval and transformation in the mobility landscape around 2019 2020 before the pandemic hit and that's where a lot of oems and a lot of large stakeholders started to either pivot away or change their business models so let's say from 2021 onwards for the sake of simplicity yeah, I, th I think what, what you, you sort of saw a lot, you know, I think a bit earlier even than that, you sort of saw that through IoT and a lot of innovation and a lot of mobility uh, concepts certainly were sort of valued as... You know, and you saw a lot of shared mobility uh, operators, and 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 in a market where where cash is plenty and capital is easy to come by, uh, that makes a lot of sense. But it also means that everybody was optimizing for scaling, 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 growing at all costs, not really thinking about okay, what are unit economics doing? Is this actually? Yeah. Is this actually? Is this actually? You know, can we ever make a profit? Are we sort of betting? based on sure this this will be the future and we will disrupt everything and then you know we'll sort of make it work you know like there've the been Amazon a, X, the Amazon Y yeah I, I guess there you know there've been a lot of companies that were fairly successful uh, uh, about that but i think a lot of uh, mobility investing, even though stuff gets more techified, is still very much relying, you know, it's mobility. So you're relying on moving people or goods. You're relying on interaction with the physical world in a sense. And that means probably you need to invest a bit more. Uh, that also means you probably have a bit more heavy operations. And that means also that with those expenditures from that, you need to be very careful to uh, basically not burn, burn millions and millions in a very short time and then still hope for some, you know, as long as money is plentiful, people start, will continue to invest because you're growing and somebody paid that multiple for it a couple of years ago. So I guess it makes sense. And uh, what you now really see, I think, and um, is, and I think that's not only for mobility, but I think it's, it's especially clear in mobility uh, is that people and investors are, are uh, finding it harder to get their own money in. You know, uh, VCs find it harder to, to get their LPs to, uh, to, to help fund their funds. Uh, and as a consequence of that, people are way more critical on sort of, Hey, how sustainable are the financial uh, financial aspects of your business? You know, is is this actually are we growing in a sort of a sustainable, uh, valid and solid way, or are you just burning a lot of money and then hope for the best? And I think if you're a founder right now and you come with a sort of a twenty 
pre-2021 pitch saying we need to we need to grow we need to scale and we'll triple our revenue and then we're at x that doesn't work anymore because what i think investors are now especially mobility are really worried about okay what if i arrive at that point uh, and i see sort of okay i've burned through my money and yes i tripled my revenue but i'm still you know yanking out money um, and, and I didn't accomplish anything concretely that allows me to raise the next round. So I think more than, I, I know the focus is a little on profitability. I think it's not necessarily for me, but I think also in, in sort of, in at least most, most VCs are not necessarily saying, Hey, you need to sacrifice a lot of growth to directly become profitable. But I think that it's as a founder, good to, when you're raising around, think about, okay, what am I actually raising for? You know, you want to accomplish something and then, and then the investor wants to know, okay, uh, say you want to raise two million to I don't know conquer the, the 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 Dutch and the German market, right? Like, and then I want to know, okay, after say twelve months with this money, you you're you can do that, and then then you're assuming that based on okay, I just conquered the Dutch and the German market. From that now, I can conquer whole Europe, and I can raise a big round on that, and then and it will probably add you know a bit of buffer, a bit of extra money that you need. But as long as you think about sort of debt, how how is debt sound, and how can I capital efficiently grow there? So again, not just spend it all on marketing, but actually make sure that your business uh, is uh, is producing uh, is producing the finances to also uh, fund part of that runway. Uh, then I think you're in a way better uh, position. Uh, and, and we still see a lot of uh, decks from sort of just raising money to, to triple there and, and just, uh, yeah, profitability, yeah, we don't really care about it. Again, doesn't, I, doesn't actually, I don't necessarily say profitability bottom line, but I am saying uh, sound unit economics are something I think investors are way more looking into. Well, break even from the start. So break even from the start. Uh, uh, let, let's say reposition your uh, OPEX um, a bit away from uh, marketing towards more uh, concrete uh, internal investments, um, maybe a, a bit less uh, budget on R&D because that's a huge budget burster to areas that uh, can achieve more uh, sound, uh, you know, uh, unit economics, but also um, a pivot away from the hockey stick, like you'd mentioned, uh, to yeah. an area that uh, is, again, um, and this would be my advice to founders and others that are pitching to you guys is, coming up with a series of uh, uh, concrete problems that are going to be solved. It, even beyond conquering the Dutch or the Nordic or whatever market, what are you going to do in that market, though? Just because you conquered it, what does that mean? Because uh, I'm not even criticizing what you're saying at all, but I'm criticizing some founders that say, well, I'm going to you know, land or expand this, this and this market. But what does that mean? What are you doing? I mean, just because you hired, let's say, 10 sales reps and you have a, a new territory and that you segmented out, uh, you have Dock region, you have Nordics, you know, you have Iberia, et, et cetera, et cetera. The, the classic model, um, you know, with, it's part of every founder's pitch with the organizational chart. But again, with this, you know, uh, use of funds that the uh, CFO and the, the founder is going to get, how are they going to position this for um, sustainable growth and for a path addition to profitability, but also towards, uh, uh, you know, future success quantitatively and qualitatively. So again, just wanted to layer in some of my I, I, I think I 100% agree to everything you're saying I think also if I were a founder raising money now I would also be very careful selecting the right investors because what's also true is that there's still mm -hmm. a lot of investors. if they don't really properly understand your business they they're going to be very critical on sort of your unit, unit economics and your you know your your capital efficiency the but they're also still gonna, but they're still going to expect that hockey stick <laughs> just, they're just gonna, and they're going to be asking the wrong questions <laughs> and, and then exactly and then, okay. and then you're just and then you're then you're basically setting yourself up for failure because they for don't well, you're setting yourself up for a bad marriage. 
Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. could lead to a, a ugly divorce. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but in a way, it's a marriage. It's a marriage. You know, founder and the you know the VC. So you know, you you have to really be comfortable with yourselves and really um kind of work well together. And you have to have you have to have the, share that same philosophy, that uh, mindset, and be aligned on those same types of goals. Maybe even not quantitatively from a KPI perspective, but the the the, the same um let's say uh, future path. I think is really important. So I understand agree to that as well. Okay. So moving along here. Um, so if we have time, let's see here. So how can cities, let's look at the public sector now. And I think you have some really good insights on that from you and I chatted before, which is from the public sector, how can cities more effectively align sustainable urban mobility plans? And we call them sumps here in Europe uh, for our American uh, you know, listeners with private sector innovation and investment. So how can cities do better to not necessarily just um, be more um, you know, innovative or investor friendly, but how can they set the frameworks of their actual plans and policies to uh, create a uh, path for uh, innovation and um, you know, a better relationship between, um, let's say, uh, venture capitalists and uh, founders? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I think maybe good to to clarify. In in, in Europe, sort of the the classical sump also sort of means that you know you're not focusing anymore on sort of the traffic per se, but you're focusing on the people or on the citizen, right? So it's a it's right. a people citizen centric approach. And from a governmental perspective, I think this is a really good one. You know, you want to make sure that you make cities more livable and that makes people happier, and you want to develop your policies, you know, with that sort of citizen or that people centric perspective in mind. Um, um, but it's it's very uh so that's all that's all very good um but i think in order to sort of bridge that gap or the bridge the gap uh, that that's identifying a gap that might not be there but in order to make it more attractive and to collaborate a bit more with the private markets you should also think about how those policies make the businesses that you, you want to stimulate also monetizable and what i mean with that is sort of i think if uh, your uh, sustainable mobility plans are really focused on creating creating competitive opportunities. Then you're uh, uh, approaching it in the right way. So, for example, if we define as a city that we want less cars in the city, and we want to achieve that because we do it, say more shared micromobility because. Uh, you know, we believe that uh, we saw we we did some research and, and we believe that that will eliminate some cars. Uh, but we've also been very aware. I think that that's a, that's a whole podcast. I think on its own of sort of the the nuisance that that also uh, potentially can bring. And you don't want that for your citizens as well. Um, so I think a, a right approach is there. Maybe you think about what can sort of make those shared mobility schemes actually competitively. Uh, uh, create a competitive opportunity for those shared mobility schemes, but also making sure that those nuisances can be eliminated by, for instance, eliminate uh, physical parking spaces in exchange for shared mobility hubs. Um, because as soon as you get a really decent network of all these physical spaces, then A, you make it you know financially more attractive to do that because you can actually build a business case on it so again for a financial market for a private investor sorry that becomes way more interesting uh, but also by you know enabling that physical space you're also making sure that they can actually park somewhere uh, you know uh, because for instance park misparked scooters i think is the the number one reason why paris for instance bent uh, bent their scooter uh, share, share scooter schemes yes but if there's no place to put them and i think paris was actually sort of on the right track so it's actually an interesting case how because paris was actually doing that right paris was actually uh, facilitating a lot of that so that's again that's maybe a topic uh, on its own but another example is uh, you know if you want to stimulate uh, cycling initiatives and you want to have private markets also invest there then if you your your 
sustainable mobility plan focus on enabling that. So maybe create a really good uh, cycling lane infrastructure because on top of that infrastructure, private initiatives can flourish. So I think really think about how can you make the goals that you want to achieve for your citizens and for, for the people you're optimizing your, your mobility plans for, how can you make sure that yeah, commercially attractive uh, initiatives can be built on that. And I think if you facilitate that, uh, yeah, then you're then you're setting yourself up for success in uh, collaboration with the private sector. Well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. So yeah, cities can um, signal the call for future innovation investment by actually um, positioning and reconfiguring their uh, built environment, their physical infrastructure, and their urban planning to set the conditions for um, new, uh, let's say, uh, private initiatives and monetizable schemes in the mobility sector that uh, can uh, basically uh, self-sustain in the long run uh, through cycle lanes, mobility hubs, et cetera, et cetera. There's many other examples too, but these physical changes that we've seen over the last few years that are basically funded through the frameworks of sustainable urban mobility plans are really the path forward here in Europe in terms of really uh, cities kind of um, helping to not only be not not reactive, but taking the lead, a leadership role to actually entice and attract new investments, whether you're in Berlin, Lisbon, Milan, et cetera, we're seeing kind of a consistent push and we're seeing a lot more, let's say, um, uh, kind of, um, let's say uh, ammunition on the part of the sump plans that call for um, rapid investment in physical infrastructure that stimulates economy. So kind of a little bit back to that to demand side economics again, really okay. uh, that government push, but this is where we're at now. And I think it's a really exciting time, um, regardless of a lot of the disruption in the mobility field right now, it's certainly on the public sector side that um, they're serious about it, they've matured, and now they're trying to play catch up in a, in a very good way. So that's really good to hear. Um, final question for you here, and then we'll kind of wrap it up is around, um, so you guys, so let's tell us about No Such Ventures and your no BS democratic approach to investing in uh, Dutch and EU uh, mobility startups or just startups as a whole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of buzzwords uh, yeah. in there. Uh, I'll try to uh, keep it a bit concise. Uh, I think in, in essence, uh, what we try to do differently at No Such Ventures is that we saw that basically there's a lot of misalignment within the different actors in the sort of VC investing, startup investing uh, space. And what we try to do is eliminate all those uh, hurdles, all those misalignments. So we generally believe that if everybody's aligned, everybody wants to accomplish the same goals, then we just get to better results. Um, so, okay, that sounds conceptually very nice, Tyne, but what does it actually mean? Uh, well, that means that compared to your normal VC fund, uh, we invest deal by deal. Meaning when we see a startup we like to invest in, we say, okay, we give you a term sheet and then we go to our investor pool, which is a group uh, of a lot of high net worth individuals, some family offices, a lot of people that build their own businesses and, and want to help out startups now. Uh, and then we say, hey, who wants to invest in this startup? We create, we create a, pool, uh, a pool of investors and then we pull them into one entity uh, and we invest in the startup. And I think uh, big advantages of that model is that all these investors that normally in a, in a sort of a normal plain vanilla fund where they're sort of passively investing in a fund and then if we see you know invest uh, say 10 or 15 uh, 15 startups and they'll hope they'll get a nice and decent return 
there, that means that the VC really needs to optimize for fund returns, right? He needs to make sure that the fund returns get the best results. But for you as a founder, you really don't care about those fund returns, right? You want you just want to get the maximum help you can get on your startup. So I think with our model, that really means that when we invest, uh, all these people specifically chose to invest in your company. So that means that everybody thinks you as a startup, not only this fund, but you as a startup are is pretty interesting. All these guys and girls and 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 families they have you know decent entrepreneurial background. So they're way more in, incentivized to actually help you out. And I think uh, what's also really differently about our model is that uh, where you normally as a VC, you might say, okay, we do a couple of investing uh, investments, uh, we invest in company A and B, and those are our fund returns. Typical VCs optimizing for fund returns, they're actually optimizing for one or two investments that are doing really well. And even though they will all support all the other uh, uh, startups as well, I'm not saying all the investors are, uh, are assholes, <laughs> right? Everybody generally wants to help their portfolio out. It's also good for your reputation, but they're not intrinsically incentivized investment work. Where with us, if one of our investors comes asking, hey, how's company C doing? I cannot simply say, I don't worry about it. Focus on company A and B, they're returning your fund. Because this investor maybe has only invested in company C. So we have an intrinsic inherent incentive to make sure that every investment we do really help them succeed. And I think as a founder, that's a very comforting uh, thought. And then um, what you typically see uh, a lot in startups, but less in, in sort of uh, typical partnerships in the, in, in the investing space is that if you're a startup founder, you want all your employees to have equity and skin in the game, right? Because you believe if people have skin in the game, we're all going to work harder. But in investing, it's typically a few partners that reap all the rewards. We also try to do that a bit more democratic, democratically by making sure that everybody works for those adventures, even though you just graduated from university, started as an analyst, or you're a bit more seasoned. Everybody invests with their own personal money in every investment we do, and everybody also shares in the carry in that sort of the profit you make as an investor. So again, everything we do <laughs> is really centered about sort of aligning all those interests. And a lot of bullshit, downside protection, a lot of tricky documentation, we also really don't do. You know, like uh, if we're in there together, we're going to win together or we're going to lose together. So we're not going to put a 5x liquidation preference. And I know this is a little very technical for a lot of uh, uh, listeners to this podcast. But basically, it means uh, that we're not optimizing for sort of some legal thing that can happen in the future. We just want to win together and we want to make that as practically as possible. So transparency. I think that's, that's sort of the philosophy. Right. Right. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So I was going to say uh, transparency um, uh, within no such ventures, but also including your LPs and traceability too. So tracing their individual preferences and investments to the founders and having much more of a direct line of communication and a bit more, um, let's say, um, interface. And that can lead to uh, better results, better returns, essentially because uh, there is, uh, well, we talked about no skin in the game, but also. Uh, motivation to really try and uh, move that uh, common goal together. I think that that's really key. Um, and it, it sounds like it's across the entire value chain from what I'm hearing you you, you share with us today. That's, that's, yeah, that's... I guess that I guess that's also the idea, right? And yeah. know, for us, the and that's what we really see now. I think you internal know, and the, external. The, the right. typical model is yeah, it, we're, but where the typical model is struggling now a bit with sort of the, everything that's going on, you know, in, in uh, with, well, for instance, capital drying up a bit and your classical fund model, our model actually facilitates that really well because people can still, you know, decide on an investment basis if they want to do it. So you're way more flexible and dynamic while keeping that, you know, original uh, origin of money. And I think that's also yeah. really interesting for a founder, you know, you want to you wanna, uh, get your money from the people that have also done it before. 
uh, and, and that are now super incentivized today, right? Not maybe because they invested two years ago when the skies were, you know, super bright and everything was growing, growing, growing. No, they're choosing for you today. <laughs> yeah. So you have also a sense of pragmatism too. So that's really key. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so just kind of wrap it up here for everyone. Uh, where can we all find you on uh, social media and maybe tell us about some of your upcoming um, speaking engagements? Yeah, that's good. That's uh, that, that's uh, a good one for me to do a bit of self promotion here. Yeah, I think Please. I'm very uh, very big on LinkedIn. So no, LinkedIn. So yes, I have an, an X account. Uh, I don't really use it that that, that often. I think it's also <laughs> less. And maybe maybe this is just me, but I think it's less prominent in the, in the EU compared to uh, to the US. Maybe. Um, but uh, LinkedIn is my uh, my uh, main channel. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a newsletter of Gnosis Ventures. So go to a website. Uh, it's literally gnosisventures.com, and you can uh, sort of apply for a newsletter every month. You get get some interesting insights. I think it's it's just a really cool newsletter as well. Uh, and upcoming gigs. Yeah, I'm uh, speaking at Autonomy, so I think that's the that's the the, the biggest uh, uh, in in the short term coming up. I'm also doing an engagement in uh, in Maastricht, actually the, the city I studied. Uh, where I'm also speaking on the first sort of startup conference that they're doing there. So they're asking some alumni of the university to speak. So I'm also uh, uh, giving, uh, giving a talk there. Uh, I'm going to uh, uh, yeah, bits and pretzels later in the year where I'm speaking as well, but that's already uh, end of year. So that's very far, uh, far ahead. So I think autonomy is, is the big one. Yeah. And I'm doing a lot of masterclasses, uh, but I think you can okay. watch the recording uh, on that. Uh, again, follow me on LinkedIn and you'll get the link. Awesome. Awesome. That's, that's great to hear. Um, yeah. And I'm sure we'll see each other at uh, some conferences coming up. So thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure. And for everyone in the audience, um, again, we're really excited to kick off season three again with um, these insights in the Netherlands, uh, investing and mobility. Uh, we have some exciting episodes coming up in the near term, as well as a few webinars on deck. Um, and then we'll have many new uh, exciting uh, cities first, let's say, um, materials in terms of our website, in terms of articles, uh, social media, etc. So uh, stay tuned on our social media channels as well, too. And we'll be getting this uh, episode uh, published very shortly. So thank, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Scott. All right. Thanks.